0: One of the great things about having children is that you get to share in all of their little adventures and stories and hear their perspective on a variety of things. And it keeps you on your toes and it keeps you laughing. We laugh a lot in my house. But one of the worst parts about having children is that they function like these little carrier monkeys that bring all these nasty viruses into your home. And that's been the story of my week. And so I want to ask you to bear with me this morning as... I have this very low resonance in my voice, and probably around minute 20 of the sermon, my voice will probably drop another octave. So thanks for your grace in advance. Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, it is a delight to know you and to be known by you. And it is our desire to know you even more, to be found as people who are faithful to you, to have ongoing experiences of your presence and of your goodness. And as we see an example of what an ongoing relationship looks like in this text today, we pray... That you would help us, that you would challenge us, that you would change our thinking, that you would prick us in the areas of our apathy, that you would continue to grow us into the people that you would have us to be. We ask these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. My palms were sweaty. It was hot in there. And I was more than just a little bit nervous. The music was loud, and across the room stood the enemy. Well, not really the enemy. I was a little bit disoriented and confused. Maybe my emotions were the enemy at this point. I'd never been in this situation before. You see, it was the seventh and eighth grade dance. And this was the first one I had ever been to. It was that time of year when 13 and 14-year-olds in my little private school would gather together for three hours of hormone-induced, awkward social interaction. And the first song had now passed, and I had not yet found the courage to go ask a girl to dance. And I wasn't alone. Most of the seventh grade boys were with me, standing up against the wall in the safe zone, pretending to be uninterested, when in fact we were really very, very interested. The eighth graders were all out on the dance floor having a good time. They had been here before, this was old hat for them. And as we talked and as I wondered what was going to happen next, I looked up. And I saw them coming. Not just one girl. That would be far too vulnerable. But a small pack of girls were making their way across the room. And I thought to myself, travel in packs? Why didn't I think of that? And as I noticed, one of them had her eye on me. And before you know it, I was out there on the dance floor... Attempting to move in ways I've never moved before. And proving that white German boys from Minnesota really don't have rhythm. (laughs) And as I looked back to the safety zone of the wall, I noticed that some of my friends had been left out. By now, the girls had found their strengths and numbers, and they were moving across the room in droves, and they were hunting their prey like wolves. But there were still a few guys that were left out, and it got worse as those slightly weird and awkward boys mustered up enough courage to go on the offensive toward the girls' safety zone, only to be turned back by words of rejection. These guys wanted to participate in what was going on, but they were left out. Now, I'm sure that most of us here today know what it feels like to be left out at some point in life. Whether that is in your job, maybe a promotion that you wanted, maybe it is in your circle of friends or even in your family. Maybe as you were a student, you were left out of a sports team that you wanted to be on. To be left out when you really want to participate in something can be devastating in its effect, especially when the reason that you're left out has nothing to do with your ability, but rather something that's superficial in its nature. This morning, we're going to open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 8. I want to ask you to grab a Bible and open with me. Acts, chapter 8, starting at verse 26. And we are going to read about... guy named Philip that God used to reach another guy who had been left out. Now, I'm conscious of the fact that just some months ago in our church, before I got here, April or May, Pastor Chris preached on Acts chapter 8. I went back and listened to the sermon. It was a very, very good sermon. Today we're going to take a little different angle at this text because I think here we see some practical and important things that we can learn from the characters themselves in this story, as well as how God works in this specific situation. So everybody there, Acts chapter 8, 917 is the page in your pew Bible if you're not there. For those of you on your iPhone, stop texting, start reading. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26. This is what it says. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? And when they had come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So let's remember what's going on here. In the book of Acts, God is showing us how he expanded his kingdom through the establishment of the early church. And by extension, how he continues to to expand his kingdom by the church. The message of Jesus was spreading. The Holy Spirit had come. And in this story, we see a man named Philip. An ordinary guy who God used to do extraordinary things. We first see Philip mentioned in Acts chapter 6, he's listed as one of the seven men who are tasked with overseeing the food distribution to widows. Just a practical ministry type of guy. Later on, he decides to engage in word-based ministry. He starts sharing the good news of Jesus with the people around him. And then God uses him in miraculous ways to cast out demons and to offer healing to people. Philip was an ordinary guy, but the power of God was being shown through this ordinary but committed man. Just some days earlier, we imagine, we see the scene of this new church changing drastically. As Philip's companion Stephen had been stoned for sharing his faith in Jesus. The persecution in the region was intensifying against Christians, and Saul and his minions were hunting down those who believed in Jesus, and particularly those who were sharing the good news about Jesus, and they were being killed. The environment was volatile, to say the least, and it was a huge risk for Philip to do what he was doing Continuing to go from place to place and talking about the good news. Despite this, we see in verse 26 that an angel of the Lord, which I think we could take to mean the Holy Spirit, led Philip to a specific place. And when he got there, it says in verse 29 that the Spirit said to Philip, go and approach this chariot. Now let's not look past this seemingly casual thing that is happening. The Holy Spirit of God is involved in an active directing work to one of his people. And this points us in some ways to one of the Spirit's roles in the lives of us as Christians. Now, you read a text like this and you say, verse 29 says, the Spirit said to Philip, go do this. And you think to yourself, well, Pastor Nick, The Spirit has never talked to me in that way. What does it sound like? What are you talking about? How does that happen? The first question I think that we can ask of ourselves is most certainly, do we have the space in our lives To allow the Spirit to speak, or is our lives so filled with all the busyness and white noise around us that we wouldn't know if God was speaking even if he did to us? Practically, what does it sound like when the Holy Spirit speaks to you or when he guides you like this? Is it an audible voice? I'm sure it's a little bit different for everyone. But the best way I can explain it is this. It's like a thought that is in your mind, but it's stronger than one of your thoughts. You know it's not originating from you because of its strength. And very often, or most often, the Spirit in this way reminds us or points us to something that God has said in his scriptures. He Guides us in some ways. We know that the spiritual or the, the role, the primary role of the spirit is to point us to Christ. And we see here that part of that role is to help us in the engagement of pointing others to Christ. It's important to know that in the New Testament, when it says the Spirit spoke to people, almost always is it in terms of evangelistic endeavor. The Spirit of God directs somebody toward a place for the sake of sharing the gospel with them. And so, one of the Spirit's functions in our lives is to lead us and to guide us in fairly specific ways. And when you create the space in your life for this to happen, and when you seek it to be true, or seek for it to happen in your life, God starts to do some pretty amazing things that maybe you hadn't experienced before. There's some tensions there, and we'll come back to that tension in just a moment. Now, one of the interesting parts of this spiritual encounter is that if there were ever a time that you would call a divine appointment, it would be this. I mean, look at what the text says. The Spirit of God leads somebody to the desert. And in the desert, somebody else happens to come along the road and so happens to be reading from the scroll of Isaiah. This was a divine appointment. I wonder how many of you have experienced divine appointments in your life. Those times when you either in the moment know or you look back and you say, in God's incredible providence, he orchestrated situations, times, and people for me to be in contact with another person who either needed encouragement or most often needed to hear the gospel. Have you ever had experiences like that? Maybe today, if you have, I reckon a lot of us have had those divine appointments where we look back and we say, there's only one way that 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 encounter could have happened. I've had a number of them over the years. Anywhere from restaurants to airplanes to bus stops to the gym those times when you look back and say, wow, God orchestrated something there, and I got to be a part of it. This was a divine appointment. And one of the things that we notice about this divine appointment is that Philip, when he approaches this Ethiopian eunuch, he went to the eunuch just as he was, he didn't pick and choose. Somebody based on what he thought was normal. Not like he could have been in the desert anyway. But so often we, often, we try to pick and choose the people that we want to engage because we think that they're normal or they meet some kind of criteria for us. But there was a lot of risks involved here for this encounter. Like I said, the environment was hostile toward Christians. They were being killed for sharing their faith. And if you think the social rejection that you have for sharing your faith is severe, try being in that environment. The risks continue. This was a foreign official traveling in caravan. It's not unlikely to think that this foreign official probably had armed guards with him, as many did. Now, what happens when somebody goes running at a caravan of a foreign official when that official has armed guards. They defend the caravan. And yet Philip ran toward them anyway as prompted by the Spirit of the Lord. There's another barrier here, and that was his ethnicity. Philip could have very easily said, I don't want to engage with that guy. I mean, he's from... Ethiopia. That's the far ends of the earth of our time. We almost have surely no common ground that we can even start a meaningful interaction with. He's a foreigner. And if that wasn't enough, he could have said, this guy's probably a Gentile. He's unclean. Philip's one of the chosen people, Jews and The gospel had not yet expanded to the Gentiles as of yet. This was a gospel at the beginning preached to the Jews. So if those excuses weren't enough, threat of being killed, the fact that this guy had no common ground as a foreigner, the fact that he was an unclean Gentile, I mean, how about the fact that he was just plain, downright weird? I mean, come on. He was a eunuch. And a eunuch was a man who had been castrated. And as such, their voice often changed to a very high-pitched and awkward-sounding voice. People who spoke to this man knew who he was identified in that way. But Philip approached him anyway. And the plot thickens when you understand the context even more, never mind all of these excuses. How about the fact that this foreign official just went to Jerusalem to worship? He clearly has some spiritual sensitivities here. He traveled across the known world to go there. But as he got there, he was almost certainly turned away from the type of worship that he was seeking Because eunuchs, according to the Old Testament law, had defiled themselves. And one seeking access to the temple as a eunuch would most certainly be denied. I get mad when I go across town and figure out giant eagle is closed for the night. Try traveling across a known world in a chariot to worship God in what you think to be the most meaningful experience and then to be rejected at the gates. And as a door prize, you get to buy from these people that just rejected you at a very expensive price a scroll from the book of Isaiah. Have a nice trip. This guy was an outcast. This guy didn't meet any of the criteria. And Philip went to him just as he was. And as he approached him, the eunuch was reading from Isaiah chapter 53, this great passage about the suffering servant, hundreds of years before Jesus come, talking about him. And from there, the text says that he explains to this man the nature of the gospel and that Jesus invites him to come just As he is. As the Isaiah passage points out, moving beyond this section, that Jesus didn't ask him to come just as he is so that he could stay that way. Jesus asked him to come just as he is because he didn't have to stay that way. He suffered on our behalf, as Isaiah 53 says. So we didn't have to stay that way. So we don't want to stay that way. Because there's a better way. God's way. The message to Philip or the invitation was, you don't fit. You're an outcast. The structures of the religious elite prevent you from having access to God. Moreover, your sin prevents you from accessing a holy God. Well, guess what? The coming of Jesus completely blows the structures of the religious elite out of the water. The law has been fulfilled. No longer are people required to worship God in the temple. No longer is righteousness found through your external activities. Now righteousness is found in the person of Jesus, and he gives it to you. This is a radical shift. This is a new spiritual world order with a suffering servant at the center. And he wants you. He wants you, foreigner. He wants you, Gentile. He wants you, defiled one. He wants you, eunuch, to come just as you are. But don't expect to stay that way. And guess what? The eunuch didn't stay that way. He didn't stay the way that he was. Upon hearing the message of Jesus, the text tells us that he immediately requested to be baptized. Presumably, Philip explained to him the significance of baptism as an outward sign of an inward transformation that happens in the life of a Christian. And this case of immediate baptism is unique to the New Testament. It's a little unique to our own experience. But nevertheless, I think it's here because it's showing us something. It's showing us that this eunuch now had the grace of God usher into his life, and he knew that he couldn't identify the same way that he had always identified. He had changed. God had changed everything. And as a result, he wanted to identify in baptism. Sin had been dealt with. Spiritual and practical change was happening. And that expression is seen... In those waters. The account closes. Philip whisked away to another place to preach the gospel to other people. The eunuch joyfully going on his way. And Ethiopia receiving a new treasurer who is a new Christian. The message of Jesus presented by an ordinary guy to an outcast person was come as you are but just don't stay that way. And that is exactly what happened. Now, I think as we look at this text, we see a number of challenges for us as followers of Christ. Let's make a couple of them clear. I'm sure some of them have already been sort of tugging at you. But to clarify a few, we see in this text this ordinary committed follower of Jesus named Philip Share the message of Jesus in the midst of tremendous persecution. And yet, you and I still struggle to share the message of Jesus with our friends and neighbors because we care so much about what they're going to think of us. What does that say about our faith? What does that say about our courage? What does that say about our commitment? I mean, perhaps you've heard it before, but God has blessed you, and part of the reason he's blessed you is to be a blessing to other people. And so the encouragement and the challenge is to be intentional about giving Jesus away to those around you. I think another challenge that we have in this text is to be a people in touch with and led by the Holy Spirit. If we struggle to hear the Spirit speak, it's perhaps time to become more intentional about getting rid of the white noise in the media and asking God to speak to us in clear and powerful ways. And I know when I talk about this Holy Spirit speaking that the immediate reaction is probably very mixed. Some of us maybe cheer internally. Others of us are a bit confused, And still some of us become very concerned. The reason why we become very concerned is because most of us have experienced a tremendous abuse of the idea of the Holy Spirit speaking, haven't we? We've heard people say things like, God told me to... And you sort of raise your eyebrow a little bit and say, really? I think of a friend of mine in college when she was taking a break from school for a semester to serve with a mission organization overseas. And about one month into their time overseas, one of the young men on their mission team asked if he could have a serious conversation with her. And as they sat down and he began to talk to her, out of the blue, he proposed marriage to her. And then he went on to say, God told me to ask you to be my wife, and he told me that you will be my wife. When she expressed that she didn't have the same feelings and said something along the lines of, wow, I wish you would have told me, (laughs) the young man proceeded to tell her that unless she agreed to the marriage that she would be living in disobedience to God, A terrible abuse of that idea God told me or the leading of the Spirit. You've heard it before. You've heard all kinds of cliches and or practical desires where somebody said, God told me that I'm okay doing this. Or God said I can do that. Or God told me I really need to devote my efforts to this. And sometimes you just kind of sit back and say, I don't think that's God telling you, brother. I just think that's indigestion. Let's be clear, God primarily speaks to you as you read and or hear his word. As you create space in your life to listen to him. And as you do, his spirit that inspired this word continues to speak to you and continues to reveal to you the things of God in a very personal way, in a very life-changing way, at times a very convicting way. The role of the Spirit is to bring light to this message to us, to convict us and to guide us. Now, beyond that, beyond that, Philip wasn't reading his Bible when the Spirit told him to go. Beyond that, we do have plenty of occurrences in the New Testament, and I think we could say plenty of occurrences in our life, where the Spirit guides us into a variety of circumstances and situations. There are plenty of times where the Spirit gives a nudge or recalls to memory the Word of God, something God has already said. There's plenty of times when the Spirit makes divine appointments that we're supposed to be a part of. There have been some of you that have experienced times where the Spirit cautioned you against something or the Spirit encouraged you in something. And so be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But let me say this. I don't think you can be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit unless you're actively and regularly engaging in the Word of God, number one. And as you grow in sensitivity and learn what the Spirit's leading sounds like in your own life versus your own desires, just take this caution. Be very careful to use the phrase, God told me to blank. Another challenge of this text is that we see this great example of baptism and for some of us, it might make us wonder whether or not we too should be baptized. Baptism is the outward expression of the inward transformation that God does in your life through the person of Jesus. It's commanded of all believers in Scripture. So if you're here today, you profess faith in Christ, and you've never been baptized, the answer for you is yes. By all means, be baptized. And Come and talk to one of us pastors about that. We do baptisms a number of times a year here at Old North. Another challenge that we see in this text is that we're challenged by the reality, the overpowering death and resurrection of Jesus that breaks down all kinds of barriers, physical, social, spiritual barriers that hinders outsiders from coming in. The life-changing grace of Jesus is for everyone that God calls. The life-changing message of Jesus is for everyone. And so our invitation to the outside world is, come as you are. But don't expect to stay that way. Because none of us expect to stay the way that we were. God changes us. Now, I recognize, though, that the struggle for some of us is, there's an idea of the church then filling up with people who aren't like us. That can be pretty scary. And if you're struggling with that, that you want the church to be people all like you or like us, then this text is a, is a convicting text to say, it's time to get your heart in check before the Lord with his purposes And his plans. Because the prescription of death for any church is when they start to become the gatekeeper for who has access to God. Our invitation is come. Come as you are. Come outcast. Come foreigner. Come sinner. Come defiled. Come as you are. But don't expect to stay that way. And it challenges us to be more flexible with all types of people. Finally, for some of you, you might have felt like a meaningful relationship with God was out of reach for you because you're not like those church people or because of the weight of guilt and shame for some of the things that you've done in life. Some years ago, I met a Chinese student in London, and we'll call him John. John was interested in spiritual things. He had been in England a couple of years. He had many questions about the West, many questions about God, and now he was growing in his curiosity about Jesus. We would spend some afternoons together reading the Bible and talking, and John would travel 30 to 45 minutes regularly just to come and talk about these things. With me, And as we read the scriptures together, I began to explain to him on one particular day how much God loved him. It was a love that he desperately wanted. And I explained how the chief expression of God's love is that his son came like a sheep who was led to the slaughter, Like a lamb before its shear is silent, that his son Jesus came as a sacrifice for his sins. And at that, he just silently kept shaking his head. No. 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 And I said, John, what's wrong? And John began to tell me the rest of his story. He was a gambling addict and had just that week gambled away all of his tuition money for the semester. He didn't know what he was going to tell his father. He didn't know what he was going to do about school. And the practical consequences were weighing heavy on him. But the guilt and the shame of his sin were much heavier. And when confronted with the reality that God loves him and wanted to take that sin away, he couldn't believe it. He thought himself unworthy. He viewed himself as disqualified from such a gift and here is the good news of acts chapter 8 the good news of the gospel that a meaningful relationship and an eternal relationship with god is available to you no matter where you've come from no matter how weird you are socially no matter what you've done in the past Jesus is beckoning you to come. He's already suffered for you. He wants to take your grief and your brokenness on as his own. He's paid the penalty for it already. And through his resurrection to give you new life. The message is come as you are. Regardless of your grief, regardless of your shame, regardless of your guilt. Jesus beckons you, come. Just don't expect to stay that way. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we recognize that in some way, shape, or form, that each one of us are outcasts before you. And yet, in your grace and in your mercy, you tell us to come. Lord, I thank you for such a text as this, that for those who are found in Christ, are continue to be convicted and encouraged about the way that we approach those around us with this good news. Continue to shock us out of our apathy and grow us in a deeper love and eternal concern for our friends and our family and our neighbors and even those who are outcast in our communities. Lord, for those of us who are here today who feel unworthy to be in relationship with you because we have done terrible things, we thank you for a grace that is so profound that you even take people like us into your family. Thank you for Jesus and for the gift of his sacrifice and for the love that is displayed through him. And it's this we pray in his name.